name is Joshua Edward Wright. I was imprisoned in Portland, Oregon, United States for 50 months. And during that time, I realized that not a lot of people know what we go through. So what I will be offering is personal narrative in the hope that the listener will be able to realize the validity of the statement that no human being belongs in a cage. Welcome. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the third episode of the podcast, The Exiled Voice. Today, we have with us Benjamin Earl Stiller. Um, we did time together for a little bit, but I'll just let him introduce himself. Uh, I'm Benjamin Earl Stiller. I, I did about 26 months in prison, all of which was with Joshua Edwards. He was the first person I met when I was in there. I've been out for about a year and a half now. Uh, on in and out of work. I, I, I'm really looking forward to trying to get my own business up and running my own uh, car dealership or some kind of car restoration shop. Keep looking forward, keep moving forward. And uh, for, for context, just, just kind of describe to the audience kind of your process going to you know, prison. Explain what you went through and what you endure, endured on your kind of road to you know, imprisonment. My arrest, my initial arrest itself was actually peaceful because uh, I'm pretty sure I, I just kind of I kind of gave in to the cops. I just kind of let them I, I let them arrest me. As soon as when I got to jail is when is when things shifted. In uh, any kind of county jail, uh, there there is no crime anymore. It's it's it doesn't matter what crime you did. You are all treated exactly the same. Uh, if I commit a rob, if I go in and steal a bag of chips. I'm treated exactly the same as the murderer and rapist right next to me. And so there's no, there's no, there's no justice in that. There's absolutely no justice in that. Don't tell me there's a justice system. Uh, after uh, court and everything like that was, uh, it was actually um, calming. Uh, the actual experience of getting judged and like finally not having to worry about probation and worry about this 36 month sentence of hanging over my head and, and worry about all this other stuff. Uh, it, it was almost uh, euphoric being able to just let go of it. Like, I don't have to worry anymore. There's, they, they can't do anything anymore. I'm just going to do my time. Getting to the prison, the hub, I think, is the worst thing in the world. I, I, don't, I would not wish that upon my worst enemy. Um, the intake and orientation is, I mean, any, anybody locked up for 20 hours a day in a concrete box is going to go crazy. That's institutionalization. That's what happens. Like, people don't come out the same for a reason. Thank you. And for context for the audience, the hub is a very unique place on your transition to prison. It's a place where you go before you go to Coffee Creek in Oregon uh, intake. It's a concrete square block off the side of a freeway, maybe 20 feet by 20 feet, where 30 to 50 of us are chained together. We all have leg irons on, uh, handcuffs on. They're all s solid steel, obviously. Um, they give us plastic sandals and very thin clothes. They're the only thing around it is a huge parking lot and a, that freeway that I mentioned, uh, which is behind it. There's two thin uh, windows which look out to the parking lot. And what they have us do is we go around kind of in a circle because we're chained together. And once the person is kind of at the end of the line where an officer is, we are strip searched. And, you know, then we go back to kind of like the, the, the end of the line. And I went there in the winter um, after my county jail time where I was in solitary confinement. And it was in the 30s 
uh, 30 degrees Fahrenheit. Like I said, we didn't really have much clothes, and so we were all freezing together as well. And so that's another thing, I guess, to be aware of is is that what that's how we kind of enter um, our prison sentences and our settings. And Ben, if you want to talk about how your transition was, you know, from Coffee Creek to prison and just those types of things, anything you want to share, I'd love to hear it. So my actual Coffee Creek experience, it was pretty, it was pretty dull. Like I said, it was 20 hours a day in a concrete cell and you had nothing to do but read. (laughs) I, I made some dice out of like aspirin pills that I'd crushed up just to like try to pass the time. Like they, they literally give you nothing. You have nothing but your own thoughts. And that's the worst thing in the world. Like I, I don't think <laughs> like you don't understand until you're in a box and all you have left is your thoughts. <laughs> but uh, Coffee Creek is very original too. It, it's unique because it's, they make you do a lot of assessment tests while you're there, which are like uh, psychological tests, 360 question bubble tests that you have to go through, which they try to determine what your risk level is as a criminal based on these, these questions on a test. It's hard to tell, but even then, while you're in intake, when you're first in prison, you're not trained, you're, you're being trained to be a number. You're not a person anymore. You're a statistic. That's why they give you your SID number. You know, they give you a SID number. You become that number. You're not a person anymore. You're that number. It's hard to not lose that. It's hard to not lose uh, your personality and who you are and your your humanity. If you're going to treat somebody like an animal and put them in a cage, they're going to they're going to start acting like an animal. My actual uh, journey into prison was kind of it's difficult for me to explain because I did a, a little, I did a lot of disassociating when I was doing it. Uh, which uh, for context, people that don't don't know what disassociating means, it it means I literally went into autopilot. Like I was not there anymore. Like I was a zombie. When I finally got to uh, Columbia River Correctional Institute. It was interesting because everybody in the van kept saying, oh, welcome to the Minimax, welcome to the Minimax, because it's a minimum security prison run like a maximum. The security guards run it like, like it's a maximum. They treat us all like we're, like we're terrible people. I think I literally can think in my entire 26 months in that prison, I can only think of maybe one or two good cops. It's really sad that um when people get that much power they they overuse it and and you can really see who really are good people when they get when they get that much power i can i can state at least one or two times where a specific uh guard would uh goad me and egg me on and try to get me to do something and uh, i knew in my head that there's nothing you can do it's a security guard you know it's a, he's a, he's, a, he's a guard he's a, he's an officer if i punch him in the face right now i'm going to the hole for god knows how long I'm getting a new charge. I'm going to stay in prison for even longer. So in that moment when this, you know, department of corrections officer who's supposed to be like protecting, you know, guarding us suddenly becomes the enemy. It's like, who, who, (laughs) who are you supposed to trust? Like the quote unquote criminal right next to you or the guard that's treating you even worse. I can see how people get institutionalized. I can see it because when you're next to somebody who is giving you food or, you know, treating you right. And the guards, the people that are there supposed to be like your safety and stuff are treating you like animals, treating you like crap. Of course you start trusting the criminals. Unless you were there, like nobody really understands what it's like to be told when to go to bed. Like you need to go to bed right now. 
Uh, you need to get in your bunk right now and shut up for the next 30 minutes while we do count. You need to go inside and you can't come out for the next four hours. Yeah. Just the simple freedoms, like the simple little things that we take for granted on a daily basis. Like uh, one time I told my friend, he was like, he's like, what does it feel like to be free? And I said, you know what it feels like to be free? It means waking up at 3 a.m. in the morning and thinking, man, I want a glass of milk. Walking out to the fridge and grabbing a glass of milk. You can't do that in prison. You can't. I mean, I could go on for hours of what my individual experience was like in there, the hell that I had to experience. For uh, In Coffee Creek, I watched a guy jump off a second-story tier and do a swan dive into the concrete. I mean, how do you explain that to a kid, you know? Hearing about that guy in there who got the somebody put a padlock in a sock and, and hit him in the back of the head with it multiple times. Like, I, I'm supposed to feel safe in this environment, right? The injustice of it all is amazing. I once had a, one of my DB uh, domestic violence teachers told me, we don't live in a justice system. There's no such thing as justice. We live in a punishment system. You do something and you get punished for it. It doesn't matter if you did it for the right reason or why you did it or who you did it to. You did it and you're going to get punished for it, period. Reflecting on my experience for a little bit, uh, when I was at Coffee Creek, uh, they told me and my cellie to go out into the day room while everybody else was in their cells. They wanted to basically toss our cells. And I looked up on the upper floor and I saw someone hanging um, from a top bunk with a towel around his neck. Um, another officer saw it when they were escorting us to the table in the day room. Uh, control was called and what happened was they called, a few officers came down. Uh, one of them was a sergeant or a lieutenant, I can't remember which. And they took the towel off and basically let his body drop onto the ground on a steel grate, which is the upper floor. And his body was convulsing, uh, which I believe that means that there's still brain activity left. And what this sergeant or lieutenant did is put his knee on this, this young man's chest. He was in his 20s, from what I heard, had a lot of years that he had charged, been charged to do. Um, he was going into the prison system to do these decades of prison time and just couldn't deal with it. And this sergeant or lieutenant had his knee on this person until he stopped convulsing. And, you know, like you said, how, how do you explain that to a person? Like, how does, how do you even bring that up? I also want to touch on something you said about the, you know, the system being a cage and that it's, it's designed for punishment because in Norway, I always got to plug Norway is, is they look at it like, how did we fail you as a country? And what can we do in the future to prevent that? America says you broke the law, you did something wrong, so you are going to be punished. And not only are you going to be punished, but we are going to take you away from your family, your friends, your children, if you have them, your job, your community. And so everyone in that community who is close to you and cares about you will also suffer. And we don't understand the damage that that causes, um, or at least the people in charge don't. And it just keeps continuing these cycles of poverty and violence and criminality. And then we continue to blame the people for something that we should be remedying ourselves at the state or local or federal level. I've also been quoted as saying, like, if you put a dog in a cage, 
and you leave it for a week and you come back and you expect it to be happy to see you, that's just not how cages work. It's going to gnaw its own teeth off trying to get out of the cage. And that's kind of how prison is. It's not that we are, you know, so like terrible people or we are truly evil or anything like that. The truth is you put a bunch of people in a cage and you expect them to be friendly and, you know, grow in that place. And then you release them back onto the street and expect them to be reformed people. Like it's the Department of Corrections it's supposed to be rehabilitation, but that's just not how cages work. That's just not what happens. That's not what, what we do. And so that's a byproduct of the prison industrial complex. And we have created that. We, we designed that. We uphold it and we sustain it, you know, because we don't take the time to educate ourselves on this stuff. But getting off my soapbox a little bit, I want to go back to you um, and ask, you know, how was release for you? How was your release? How was that process, you know, assimilating back into society? I would like to touch on the further pushing of us being animals on the fact that on the way out the door, I'm being released. My time is done. I've served my sentence. The officer, the releasing officer continued to threaten me over and over and over again. If I did not fill out the paperwork or follow her orders directly, that she was going to send me back to my cell and make me wait to be released. I'm being released. I've done my time. Can you please stop treating me like an animal? But once I got out that door, it was, it was almost like a dream. It was like waking up from a nightmare. And I, I turned around and I remember my brother put his arm around me and he said, look at that place. And I looked at it and I felt nothing. I felt absolutely nothing. I felt numb. I felt like I was like, that wasn't real. There's no way that human beings can put other, pe other people in that position. But uh, once I got out into like society and stuff, it, it was a challenge trying to find, find a job. I knew uh, that I could get a job at a specific place that hired felons that hired me before I went to prison. But I wanted to see if I could get something else. You know, I wanted to see if, if society would let me. I applied everywhere, REI, all the places in the mall, restaurants, everything. And Three weeks of putting out like 50, 40, you know, resumes a week and, and nothing. It's heartbreaking. It, it, kills, it kills your spirit. It kills your hope. And I can see why people go back to crime because you're released with, with nothing, with no aid. Like they, you have to work extra hard. And the greatest thing is, is as soon as you're released, they're like, oh, you have to take these 10 classes a week and you have to come in to see this person and you have to pay this bill. Oh, and you don't have a job? Well, guess what? We're going to send that to collection so you're going to have to pay for it later with interest. Oh, you can't pay for that? We'll subsidize it, but you're going to have to pay us back later. Bills upon bills upon bills. Now you have to pay supervision fees and now you have to pay your class fees and now you have to pay your court fees and now you have to pay all these fees. Oh, but you're, su you're supposed to succeed. We're supposed to be better people because you just left us in a cage for you know however many years and you expect us to come out and be just happy go lucky everything's better they 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 want you to fail because you're a dollar sign however much money they can continue to make off of you over and over and over again so they're going to send you out so that you can fail so that you can come back to prison so you can make them money again i've been succeeding cuz uh i believe in i believe in hard work and i believe in um paying it forward like uh just taking care of the people around you and to not assume that they're going to take you back, take care of you back. But, you know, 
it's almost like good karma, you know, like you take care of someone and the people around you are going to take care of you. And uh, I think that's a big thing in prison too. Like I almost learned that in prison because you learn to trust the people around you and, you know, learn to hate cops. I mean, it's funny that they go like you put criminals in this box and then you're like, you expect them to like, oh yeah, I'm going to call the cops on people when I get out. No, I don't trust cops. <laughs> Is there anything you want to say before we wrap up to the audience? There are therapists. And uh, I, I don't know if this is true or not, but I, I heard that it is illegal for them to say that they understand a patient. They can't say, I understand what you're feeling because there's no way that you can understand what somebody's feeling. Guy wasn't there when you saw that guy hanging himself. I don't know what you felt. So when somebody tries to empathize with us and try to like be there for us and try to understand what we're feeling, you're, you're not going to understand it. But the least you could do is listen. I just want to be there for that and say like there are a lot of men in this world who are carrying a big burden on their backs and the best thing we can do is just listen. I want to thank Ben Stiller and all of you listening. We'll see you next time.